Welcome back everyone to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know we covered two episodes of Legend of Korra, and today we have arrived at Season 4, Episode 9, Beyond the Wilds. The uh, episode is written by Joshua Hamilton. It's directed by Ian Graham. It's animated beautifully, as always, by Studio Mir, and the episode aired November 28th, 2014, the IMDb rating of Beyond the Wild is 8.4 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. I love that. I feel like people know when we're not as invested in an episode, we just kind of breeze past the. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Well, you know what, too, is because, like, th- by this point, also, it, there's no, like, <gasps> It's directed by Joshua Hamilton. It's like, oh, it's right, because two episodes ago it was Joshua Hamilton. Like, the whole fact that they switch off, like, every other Mm -hmm. episode makes it very predictable. Plus, there's nothing about this episode that, like, screams that it's a Joshua Hamilton production. Yes. Like, some episodes are so brainy that you know that Mr. Genius, Tim Hedrick, had to be behind it. (laughs) Or some episodes, you just... Anyway... Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so for our fun facts, fact number one, this is Janora's last speaking role in the series. I love that these are fun facts. Like, what? <laughs> this is going to be a thing because, well, if you think about it, we even made, I think, no, it was when uh, Rachel and I, my sister, we were watching the episodes for the last podcast that we recorded, and that was when she cried. And, um, and like, she literally said she's watched this series with me multiple times like she knows this series inside and out and she said manda there's lots of characters in this show i'm like yes there are rachel (laughs) very good observation uh very astute because yes this is a stacked cast and some people just aren't going to talk in the finale. A lot of people aren't going to talk in the finale. And honestly, that's fine. And especially since it's Janora, because as I've made no secret, I don't like Janora. So <laughs> sorry, Janora, for staying. <laughs> You're just like, it's so in short, Todd, and this is Janora's last speaking role and can't be soon enough for me. Honestly. <laughs> oh, man. Definitely pissing off some fans. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Oh, yeah. So sad. Anyway, um, <laughs> our second fun fact is that the tourist voiced by Michael, or sorry, John Michael Higgins was jokingly named Steve in the episode's Blu-ray commentary by the creators. This is in response to the fans that had questioned who the character was after noticing him in multiple episodes as a background extra since book one. That was really long. <laughs> um, so I didn't even know, like the the Steve background character that they're talking about is the one that like tries to poke the vines with a stick. I'm gonna poke uh-huh. it with a stick. I quote that all the time. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm <laughs> quoting. It's fine. Um, it's just but... hilarious in hindsight because now I'm like flashing back to all the times you have said that, and I'm like, oh, that's what she's been referencing when she says that. <laughs> yep. And uh, John Michael Higgins, he's Varric, isn't he? That's the voice actor yes. for Varric. Um, yeah. So I didn't. Like, the voice literally did not connect that that was Varric's voice actor. So when I read that, I was like, is that right? And it turns out, yes, it is. That is him. Um, so <laughs> that's just funny to me. Um, I didn't even notice his very distinct voice. 
Um, and our third fun fact, third and final fun fact, is that the entrance gate to the spirit, or sorry, the spirit wilds in Republic City resemble the tori found in Japanese Shinto shrines. They symbolize the boundary between the mundane and the sacred. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that those are the giant, like, like door looking pillars with the, you know, the decorative whatever on top. Wow, I'm really butchering this. <laughs> yes, the like the red, the, the red, <laughs> the red, the red gate with the pillar on either side and like the two yes. red beams that going across. Yes, yes, yes the Tori. We had one of those in the Japanese Epcot pavilions. <laughs> Oh, I know what it is. I'm just not good at describing it. Um, <laughs> but yes, they're they're very beautiful and very symbolic. So it makes sense that like it would be the gateway between the spirit wilds and the rest of the city. Um, and yeah, that's all the fun facts. Not really a lot, but. <laughs> well, I mean, it probably stands to reason because this wasn't a very fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As soon as, this 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 was a return back to the spirit world for me that I was like, boy, it sure is interesting. I wonder how that super weapon's coming along. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I told you the first half, all the way up to I think it was episode seven. Yeah, episode seven mm -hmm. um, of season four is like incredible on the same level of like season mm -hmm. two, which for me was my favorite season overall of Avatar. It's like at that level for me. You mean season three? No, no, no. Remember? Because I think season two overall is the uh, best season. But season three oh, has oh. the best episodes, if that makes sense. Like, like <laughs> I know. I'm one of the like 10 people that think that season two is actually better than season three. Oh, yeah. I think it so, is. I mean, we're, we're, getting so, we're getting so close to the end of the series. So <laughs> state again for me and everyone else what you mean when you say that you think season two is the best, but the episodes of season three are the best. Like, explain this. Now, I am, I am talking about Avatar, not Legend of Korra, just so we're not getting confused. <laughs> Oh, okay. I was I, I, that's where I, that's that's where I was getting so confused about it. Okay, Avatar. You think that season two of Avatar is the best? Yes, out of the three seasons, I think that overall, as a whole, season two is the best season. But I think that oh, season agreed. three of Avatar has some of the highest highs of Avatar, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. But but kind of like with. Um, what is it uh i love that we're just going back and forth between avatar and legend of Korra. it's getting very confusing but <laughs> yes. much like legend of Korra season three which i felt had a slow beginning but then a banger second half of the season mm -hmm. um that's kind of how i feel about season three funnily enough of avatar like it starts kind of slow and it has a couple dud episodes like the headband but yeah. then you get it deeper into the season with, you know, the uh, Boiling Rock, the Day of Black Sun, the Southern Raiders, like the finale. I'm like, Jesus, this is the best shit ever. But the first half is kind of slow. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about season three of Avatar and Legend of Korra. And for me, the, the first half of Legend of Korra season four is just the first half, the first seven episodes is on par with season two of Avatar. In terms of just of, how out, solid, how yeah, yeah, yes. Wow, that was a lot of back and forth. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I mean, I, I, I wanted to make sure I understood. And I mean, in all honesty, <laughs> since we are right. so far, I mean, this is the second to last episode of mm -hmm. 
our podcast about Legend of Korra, um, the next episode that we record after this one is going to be our triple threat again. We'll be handling episodes, uh, you know, 11, 12, and 13, the finale of the entire show. So it is worth it at this point to kind of start looking back at where we've been. I mean, I don't want to overstate and be like, oh yeah, I thought this was the best part of, you know, Legend of Korra. And then it turned out the finale of season four for some reason are like 10 out of 10 episodes in my mind and i'm like blown away but uh, i just want to see i just really on that note i really hope i get to see giant spirit kuvira fighting giant spirit cora in the finale that's all i want just a giant like like mud wrestling match i was gonna say mud wrestling Oh my god, you would want that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, it, it's the only thing that's going to save. We have to, we have, this show needs to go out with a bang, okay? Like, we really need to pull out all the stops here, guys. Um, oh, man. No, I mean, yep. I'm, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you a lot about season two of Avatar looking back. I still, for me, and maybe it's just because I'm biased because it's the Fire Nation and the Fire Nation <laughs> yeah. stand, I still loved season three of Avatar. I think oh, yeah. for me, I still think, for, but I think, I think for me it was slightly edged above season two in my mind even if you cut out the headband episode i think season two <laughs> was in my mind slightly for myself personally i enjoyed it more um yeah. but as far as cora goes yeah we really are experiencing this slowdown here all of a sudden because boy i really felt like beyond the wilds was trying so hard to keep our attention but the thing that's kind of funny about it just to talk about what happens in the episode is i feel like there's a lot of a lot of start and stop there's a lot of like it starts a story arc and in my mind when i was watching it i was like oh that's really interesting like they do the whole like uh the tour with i'm sorry what's his name again who's voiced by ryu yeah ryu who's voiced by napoleon dynamite and i was first of all shocked and i was like oh that's did he become an airbender this is awesome he's an airbender now he finally came around and um and he's yeah and he's and he's and he's doing it was a surprise adoption that's all and so he he um he's leading this tour through republic city and the spirit wilds and then all of a sudden the vines start turning on them. I was like, oh, this sounds like it's going to be something really cool and interesting. And then there's the whole, you know, uh, they go to see the world leaders and, and, and they're, you know, they, Korra and um, Mako uh, come in. They, they burst in on the meeting where President Raiko is there and Tenzin and <laughs> Prince Wu. <laughs> <laughs> Offering great suggestions, by the way. Good job, baby. Like, i know he's, he's doing so good we, we, t- we tell him that she won a vacation and then she goes to the island the island is a prison we've got her you know yeah and but honestly the thing that gets me is like after his two ridiculous uh suggestions he actually did he was ready to commit murder it's like just does anyone know if she has any allergies like like <laughs> damn my boy's out for blood <laughs> um but then also we see the fire lord which this mm. is our first time seeing her or at least like was she present at his coronation and yes she was but she didn't obviously like there wasn't really like a close-up or any speaking lines but this is the first time that we like officially see fire lord azumi um who is zuko and may's daughter 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, 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 I, I love that. Like we could have fun fact and been like, fun fact, this is Fire Lord Azumi's first speaking role. Yeah. And first, and I'm pretty sure only speaking role. I think uh, they, they would just, they had to have it to where, cause like, even though they address him as Lord Zuko, when he's, you know, approached by people, like, they had to make it clear that he was not the fire Lord at this time. Like his kid was, and that he did in fact have children or at least a child. And, uh, that it was with May because she looks just like May, (laughs) like that bitchy side glare. (laughs) Like And and that Uh, she's a hot silver Fox. Like honestly, what is up with, what is up with legend of Korra and the silver foxes? Like what's what's happening here? Uh, Michael and Brian obviously have a type. (laughs) it seems so their their tastes have matured like fine wine here between avatar and Korra. they're like hey what if we had not one not two but three silver foxes in this show we'd love to see it (laughs) (laughs) um but 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 see like but my whole point was that they throw out these these ideas and we expect them to go somewhere really 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 interesting and they kind of don't like the mm-hmm. spirit wilds idea i don't know who else is thinks that the spirit wilds are insanely interesting i sure don't i got enough of them in season two of Korra, and when they're like i'm going back to the spirit wilds i'm like oh joy i can't wait for us to go back and wander <laughs> aimlessly through the frou-frou land of the spirit world can't wait yeah and you know it's kind of sad because there is there's a bunch of comics that came out after legend of Korra ended um that kind of just continue the story like pretty much almost immediately (laughs) and uh and they actually throw out kind of an interesting idea of um like this and this isn't really a spoiler for the finale or anything but Mm -hmm. they kind of throw out this interesting idea of having the spirit wilds become a sort of carnival like attraction to where people would pay to like visit the spirit world and because you know now it's like freely open to people now the portals are all open so like why not capitalize on it of course and it's like that's actually kind of interesting like that i would have liked to have seen something like that instead of just giving tours like actually make this into a commentary on like oh you know capitalism (laughs) i mean republic city is nothing more than capitalism gone absolutely pear-shaped so i mean it tracks you know (laughs) you know or maybe like the gangs like bring the gangs back they were such a big well not giant but like they were a big part of the first season and Mm -hmm. a little bit in the second season but like not nearly as much as i feel like they could have been but like bring back the triple threat triad or the agni kais or like any of the gangs that are in republic city that could use these like you know spirit wild to the spirits like imagine if the spirits and the gangs like teamed up that would be so cool you mean there's <laughs> like, a bunch of like these big chubby pudgy like glowy baby faced spirits <laughs> with like little gangster hats on yes! and, like, little, oh my little, God. Ci- and like, little cigarettes hanging out of their mouths little... <laughs> i would love that oh my god like shady shin get like adopts one and he's so like protective of him where's his spinoff <laughs> i love it yeah. shady shin in the spirit world yes it's a it's a spirit heist yes i love that um but the point is is that the spirits and the spirit world and legend of Korra are just very 
underwhelming and boring and we don't care <laughs> so yeah um just to kind of sum all that up they, they, um, they brought my boy wong shutong back just to show what the spirit world could have been and then be like <laughs> right on, like remember on the how one the spirit hand, world used brilliance to be. on the other hand, painful agonizing failure <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes oh man yeah and that's that really is the only time that the spirit world in Legend of Korra, in my opinion, was ever interesting was when we were just visiting, like, you know, places we'd already been in the spirit world, which is not good. Because um, you should, especially if you have a whole season about spirits and the spirit world, you should expand on it and make it super interesting and like, you know, add new elements to it. And the one new element that they added, you know, the fog of lost souls that I really liked was only used once. It was a throwaway. Like, yeah, and I'm like, damn, you could have had and a whole like, episode okay, in this. Okay, okay. Now, and here's what I'm talking about when I say this, and I'm sure you'll agree. When everyone gets dragged away to the spirit world, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is it. We're actually going to reuse something. The spirit world is angry because humans are chopping up the the tree and harvesting the roots and everything, and the spirits Mm -hmm. are angry, and so the the vines are grabbing them, and they're dragging them away, and they're going to drop them into the fog of lost souls. And now Korra has to go and free them, and she has no idea how. She doesn't have Tenzin's help or anything. And so my brain went there, but no, that's not what happens. And oh my god, it literally could have been... Like, it could have played out very similarly, but, like, better written, I feel like. Like, exactly what you said. I was thinking the same thing, and I was so disappointed that it wasn't where they were, and that they didn't even think of that. Like, you because know what I mean? W- we'll see, and the thing is, it's such a dropped ball, because, okay, so, like, to follow through, this was the best part of the episode for me, was Cora, the titular character mm-hmm. who is seldom my favorite part of the show. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, like, th- thanks for making Mako and Bolin so boring in this episode, guys. <laughs> thanks, Joshua yeah. Hamilton. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, like, <laughs> but, but, no, but, but Cora, Cora being unable to meditate to get into the spirit world, and I just realized how much ground this movie, the movie, this episode runs like it's going up the stairs three steps at a time. Like mm-hmm. we went all the way from Korra and Jinora discovering what's going on in the spirit wilds to them going to see the world leaders to her trying to meditate to go into the spirit world to that not working to her going and getting permission to go see Zaheer and then with Zaheer's help meditating to get into the spirit world. <laughs> Yeah, instead of like, facing instead of facing her fear with Sahir, she should have meditated into the spirit world. I don't care if she does it with Sahir as well or help or not. But then go into the spirit world and in the spirit world face her fear because that's exactly what the fog of last souls is for. Yeah, I know. And that's what I was gonna say. Like you could have done the same thing, but more clever and more concise if she just had a trip in the Vogue of Lost Souls and like kept replaying, you know, the incident with Zaheer and maybe she sees her dark avatar spirit self again, like, and maybe she like comes face to face with it. Like you could have done so much with that, but no, I mean, not that I'm mad. Cause like, I actually really do like the scene with Zaheer. Like, and I, I do, love- I do too. Yeah, like when I was not expecting it because like I thought just like with every other villain, like he may be mentioned, but he, we weren't ever going to actually see him again. Um, but no, it was great that he actually, first of all, survived 
to the end, you know, which Amon, Tarlock, and Unalak, none of them did. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, that he survived and actually is like helping the hero, which, you know, I love villain hero team ups. Like it's my favorite yeah. thing ever. So I was all for it. Um, and the fact that he like genuinely regrets his actions. Like you can just tell in the animation and his voice acting that he like didn't, which is stupid. Cause like, what did you think was going to happen? You dumb, well, he, dumb he, person. It's exactly, he, he, it's exactly what I said in the episode that we covered when they were like, our grand plan is to kill all the world <laughs> yeah. leaders. And I'm like, what kind of plan is that? If you what kill you the world leaders, gonna it's going to create a power vacuum. It's going to go in. Mm. Like, did you not logically think it through? And here he is in prison. He's like, wow, I didn't realize that would happen. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what a major oversight. <laughs> wow. Um, but I still do like that like he is genuinely remorseful about it and that he does genuinely help Korra into the spirit world. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is just coming face to face with your fears. That is like sometimes, not always, but sometimes that is the best way to overcome them. Um, so I do like that. But yeah, again, I just feel like it could have been... I don't know. Maybe she could have met like a not obviously the reals are here, but like he, she could have met a vision of him, and he could have just done the same thing that he did, like have the same conversation, but just in a different location, and then you know that helps her because she's not like physically meeting him, but you know what I mean. Well, what could have happened, and again, this is not to knock it as if it was a bad scene. It's a great scene, and the best scene mm-hmm. of the episode, in my opinion, when she goes to see here. Um, but honestly, she could have meditated into the spirit world, fine, but have no idea where she's going. And he has mm-hmm. to hear and meet him in the spirit world and be like, What are you doing here? And he's like, I spend most of my time in the spirit world, I'm meditating. She's like, But you're chained up, and then show him in the prison, floating right. there in chains with his long hair and everything. And then in the spirit world, have him there, and he's like, Yeah, it's just like, Well, you know, I'm chained there, but here I'm free, you know. Mm-hmm. And then have him like guide her to the, you know, have her explain to him what's going on so that he's willing to guide her and then take her to the fog of lost souls and turn her loose on, you know, on her fears to defeat them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, it's so weird. It's like such a glaring, like, again, not to knock the episode, but like, what a missed opportunity. (laughs) Um, You know what also, just real quick, I I need to talk about this because I don't think that I ever mentioned this back when season two, when we were actually like pretty much fully into the spirit worlds and the spirits, but where is Ko? I am so mad that Ko the face stealer is not in the show. <laughs> like, I don't even know how he would be in the show. And maybe that's why he's not. Cause they just, there's not really a place for him, but like he is literally an avatar. They say he is the oldest spirit, the oldest known spirit You'd think that, you know, all the spirit shenanigans going on and like the portals being open, like this would affect him as one of the oldest known spirits in the spirit world. Like, you think you might nah, be a little mad or have. He's, nah, he's like tough. He's like, I just want to sit in the swamp. My back is hurting me ever since Core opened the spirit <laughs> portals. I'm just going to chill and let, the, let so. the kids handle this. Because it's just so mad. He's like my favorite spirit and he's just not here. And I'm like, oh. See, Wan Chitan re-showing up is like if if Code re-showed up in this show, that would be like what it was for you with Wan Chitong. Like, but for me, <laughs> like it'd be like, oh, he's back, that creepy motherfucker. <laughs> but, I just 
I just realized that with the spirits in the spirit world, like all leaving and everything, Uncle mm-hmm. Iroh is like his tea party is getting kind of kind of lonely and sad over there. It's okay, Zuko's gonna join him. <laughs> no. He'll be there soon. He'll be there soon, Uncle Iroh. Just hold on. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> Uh, yeah you know one of the things i one of the things i did love was um later on in the episode when uh raiko pulls back um varick and asami <laughs> yes. to go hire them he's like you blew up the the building he's like i own that building a man has a right to blow up his own property <laughs> he's not wrong <laughs> yes i love leave it to varick having the best lines in the episode honestly but yeah, I love that whole exchange of like, you know, Varric always playing the allegedly card and Asami <laughs> calling him out. You bombed the Southern Tribe Cultural Center. It's like, I own that building. <laughs> so, you imagine if Varric got into the spirit world? Oh man, I would love to see that. <laughs> like, <laughs> although it'd be kind of like chaos personified. Like, I don't know if he would be able to handle wait, it. wait. I just had a Wait. lucid moment. Was Varric in season two trying to levitate a foreshadowing of Zaheer <laughs> aligning his chakras and learning how to fly in season three? <laughs> Big brain moment. <laughs> Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't come on, did you was... did you think of it? No, come on. I, 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 this is my conspiracy theory now. I don't know how that would work, considering that Varric is not only not a bender, but if he was a bender, he would no, be a No, but come on now. But it was, it was foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing. He was even sitting in the pose and everything. Totally foreshadowing. Trying to, like, trying to, like, float in the air. But it was, like, foreshadowing of season three, where the villain was going to float in the air. A rich man, a handsome devil, all sit on the same pillow. How do they fit? Big pillow. No, it's all the same man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Legend of Varric is still a show that I would love to watch. Oh my god, I would die. I would kill for that show. <laughs> yes. Or at least give him his own like comic. Like everybody's getting their own spin-off comics from you know Avatar from both Avatar the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Like Yang Chen has two books out, and Kyoshi's got I think three. And I'm like, come on, where's yeah, my yeah, ca- book? Catch, catch up, Aang. What's wrong with you? All you have is <laughs> all you have. Is, all you have is like the highest, the highest rated animated show in history. That's, Whatever. That's the so. That's so. 2006. Pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yes, I was just quoting you on. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, is there anything else more about the episode you want to cover? I, I got to tell you, the, the, real quick, as a quick note, the Bolin and Opal romance is not quite as great as I was hoping it was going to be. They being one of our last surviving couples, it's mostly <laughs> just Bolin getting his chops busted, but like just not as badly as he was getting busted by his girlfriend in season two. <laughs> right. It's yeah. mo- it's it's mostly him being wrong and apologizing for like three episodes straight. Yeah, and I definitely like I'm glad that they don't dwell too much on it because it's just stupid conflict. Like I get it. She's allowed to be mad at him for making a mistake, but obviously as we know in the next episode, they drop it finally. So Finally. Um 
yeah, there's not really much to say. It's just, it's kind of annoying, but I get it. Opal's in like a really hard place right now and she's very frustrated with everybody. And speaking of which, oh my God, I just remembered, this is such a little thing, but oh my God, I love it. Literally the opening scene with Korra and Naga in the courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> she's like earthbending these stones to pop up out of the ground like a whack-a-mole for Naga. And she's like chasing them, trying to like pounce on them. And it is the cutest thing. Oh my God, I love them. And there's Opal being all mad. Yes. <laughs> Where she's like, to have a fun time. Why, is, why isn't everyone, why is literally everyone not using every second of their time to get my family back? They're probably being tortured. Oh, I'm, like, so I'm just there. And I expected Cora to remember how pressed she was about her family being captured in season right. two. And she's like, oh, boo-hoo, all my family are, are gone. Everybody's got dead people. Yeah, no. <laughs> Like was Cora seeing was runner. was Cora seeing herself arguing with Mako? Like she's like, mm, "Is this how I sounded four mm, years ago?" Cringe. Yeah, no. But other than that, I think we pretty much covered everything. All the because like yeah. a lot of mint. It, I feel like a lot happens, but nothing happens at the same time. Because it, it's kind of a self-contained story. Because there's, like, four different plots. Yeah. And a lot of it's just set up for, like, mostly of what gets resolved in the next episode. So, also, can I just tell you one last thing? I thought it was real. Because <laughs> back, jumping back real quick to the Kolkora thing. And uh -huh. how what a missed opportunity it was. I really hated how she goes in the spirit world. She's like, "Oh, I'm back," and all of a sudden, just like Rava or <laughs> right Rava inside her, and Rava's just like, "It's just I've like always been inside." You. <laughs> Why, my dear, you've had the power to go home all along. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is click your spirit power together three times. <laughs> And say, I believe in myself. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I think they just like... I I kind of saw it as she... Oh, excuse me. Oh. This <laughs> well, episode's a real like, thriller. It's really funny me to believe, holy shit. <laughs> 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 okay, this is fine. Legend I... of Korra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um... I saw it as kind of like what Rava said. She was always inside of Korra. She was always a part of her. But because Korra from literally day one has always been so like spiritually, or she had such difficulty with the spiritual aspect of being the avatar that when she had her, you know, big traumatizing fight with Zaheer, like she kind of, her spirituality kind of broke in a way um, mm. along with her body and her mind and everything. So being able to, to like travel back into the spirit world, I think is what kind of brought it back in a way. Like that's just kind of how I always interpreted it. Like, yeah, it feels kind of like, oh, well that was easy, <laughs> but I wasn't really worried about her not finding Rava. So I was like, eh. yeah, it was a weird note. I was like, oh, I wasn't worried about this, but apparently Cora was. So I'm glad that <laughs> right. got resolved in two and a half seconds. All right. Oh, okay. We're going off to find everybody else. That's, that was easy. Yep. And yeah. uh, that's the episode. So let's just that get is. to the rating. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, like I said, the, the episode didn't have a whole a ton that really thrilled me. I was kind of 
shocked at what a snore the episode was. It had some funny Varric moments in it. I really, again, it's unusual for me that I find the Korra story um, to be the most interesting part of it. Um, and again, I feel like they threw out a lot of lines for places that the episode could go and didn't really pull on many of those threads very far, which mm. is fine because none of them were terribly interesting. Um, but again, I did like the core scene with, uh, Sahir. I thought it was the, the high point of the whole episode. Um, but man, I really, really was kind of bored and just wanted to see where the episode was going to go after this. Uh, mm -hmm. I may sound harsh with this, but I'm going to give this episode a 6.9 out of 10. Wow. I'm just going to go slightly above you. I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. Because <laughs> <laughs> sure, I thought I was being mean. No. <laughs> I thought I was doing, wow. <laughs> I'm going to follow up with barely higher than that. Um, yeah, no. I, like... This is definitely one that was a slog to get through for me, but it did have its high points. Obviously, yep. Varric is a gem. Um, Zaheer and Korra's scenes was great. Um, I just, half the episode is all about the spirit world and the vines, and I just don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm so over it. But uh, yeah, so eh, it's, it's, it's not just, my it's favorite. A, but. Yeah, it's just a lot of spinning their wheels. But, you know, episode the next episode gets some traction and, and we get some some new new things going on and we will get to that this takes us to episode 10 operation Bayfong. even <laughs> in hindsight even in hindsight i'm like yeah it really was kind of operation Bayfong at the start of the episode i'm like why is this operation Bayfong? and because <laughs> <laughs> they're badass <laughs> uh the episode is written by tim hedrick it is directed by mel zwire animated by studio mir and the episode aired on december 5th 2014 the imdb rating of operation Bayfong is a whopping nine out of ten mm -hmm. take away take us away with those fun facts amanda take away my fun <laughs> take away the, <laughs> take away the boredom from the last episode with some fun facts oh please uh, well, these ones aren't very fun either, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> Take a, hold on. Kind of, kind of, kind of gently nudges away with some kind of semi-fun facts. Fact. <laughs> yes. Yes. Our first kind of fun fact is Opal tells Toph that a sky bison chooses its companion. The opposite occurred in Aang's time as the air nomads were free to choose the sky bison that they wanted. And uh, I remember that. Michael like, Dante DiMartino should have kicked in the door right then. He's like, <laughs> Damn, what are you doing? Ruining the canon. For <laughs> um, <laughs> those of you that have seen Across the Spider-Verse. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I literally thought back when Opal said that line to Toph, I was thinking back to when uh, we see the flashback in Appa's Lost Days of Appa and Aang first coming together and the female airbender that, you know, is teaching Aang and the rest of the air nomads she says something along the lines of like, choose wisely for an air no or an uh, sky bison is a friend for life. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, and kind of did choose Appa. Like, they chose each other. But um, yeah, so it is kind of interesting that it is the opposite in this day and age in Legend of Korra. Um, our second fun fact is that this is Opal's final speaking role in Legend of Korra. <laughs> I'm telling you. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Tired of your whining. <laughs> no, I do like Opal much better than Janora for sure. But like, yeah, she does get kind of only one, only these... one episode more. Yep. 
but yeah, no, it, she's fine. Um, I definitely prefer to Janora. She just gets kind of annoying in these last couple episodes. Um, and then the third and final fun fact is every single member of the Beifong family known to be alive is featured in this episode. So let's run that down real quick because I kind of lost count. There's so many Beifongs. So we have Top, OG. We got Lin and Suyin. We've got Batar, Batar Jr., um, Opal, Wing Wei, Huan. Uh, was there anybody else? Did I say I said Lin. Yeah, so that's like a lot. I, know, <laughs> I, did, I, Opal. I said I thought I said Opal. Okay, Opal. Oh, maybe you already did. Yeah, and Opal. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of them, um, and it's really cool to have them all in one place fighting together as a unit. Well, and even the and, and and even though and I'm jumping just leapfrogging off of that and uh, into some things about the episode too. And even then, even though he's not like a member of the family, Lin's dad is even mentioned. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, which yeah, I'm I'm honestly surprised. Like with how much flashbacks we got during the old wounds episode, I really thought we were gonna get a flashback when we started to get into the backstory of like her dad and Tov, and I'm like, oh my god, are we about to see this relationship? Like, nope. <laughs> Just a throwaway no. line. It's no. not Sokka, guys. <laughs> oh, but wait, but we don't know who Su- we don't know who Su- yeah. who Suyin's dad is. So so the, this. Yeah, no, for you sure. You know, the soccer like, theory still lives. It, it definitely does. And they they never to this day have confirmed who Suyin's dad is. So I think they're purposely doing that to give the Taka shippers some hope. Hey, you know yeah. what? They'll take that secret to the grave, whoever Suyin's baby daddy is. <laughs> yeah. But we all know. I, well, the best part of it was I was waiting the entire time for them to ask. At, mm-hmm. at that at that fireside chat there, I was wondering like, is the next logical question not okay, Toff, who's Su Yin's dead? And then no one asked it. And I was like <laughs> Yeah, after uh Lynn's reaction, I I probably wouldn't have asked either. I've been like, All right, that's enough for me. <laughs> like, no more no more digging. Um But yeah, and I think that that's kinda like the core of the whole episode is obviously the Beifong family and the especially the dynamics between um, Toph, Suyin, and Lin. Lin and Toph, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of curious, because this is where people, and I, I understand, much like with how I understand how people don't like what they did with Luke Skywalker. I love, you know me, I yeah. love what they did with Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, but that's probably one of the most divisive character choices ever made in film yeah. right. um, to date. Uh, but I loved it. And... So I'm curious what your feelings are towards Toph in this episode and like how she, you know, navigates her relationship, especially with Lynn. Um, because this, I feel like this is the episode that divided people and whether they liked what they did with Toph or didn't like what they did with Toph. Cause up till now she's been like a hundred percent on the money character wise. Like I, I'm uh, I'm I'm neither way very extremely. However, mm-hmm. I kind of found myself disliking it more than liking it. And That's the reason fair. why is because Wildtoff has always been rough and you know callous and all the things that she always has been. I kind of felt like 
It's going to be this is going to be weird because I'm going to sound <laughs> like people whining about the Luke Skywalker thing. Mm-hmm. I felt like they ignored the way that her character moved forward. Now we talked about this in all fairness, we talked about this in the Avatar that mm-hmm. that Toph for all intents and purposes has almost no character development from the start of the Avatar to the end. She's just Toph. But right. that's also not true because she does have little breakthroughs where she she's you know heartfelt and she is she understands she her her shell gets broken a, a little bit and she mm-hmm. is a little bit softer toward people and that's not to say that she doesn't stop being smart alky hard headed right. tough love tough that she always is but she becomes a lot more patient and she becomes a lot more understanding and it's a hard place to be to try to say this here because i would have thought that she would have been a lot more soft with her own children to see her actually mm-hmm. interact with her own kids that maybe we would see not necessarily a like, soft tender side but at least a little bit more of that tender side come out of her cherishing a relationship with her children especially children that she hasn't seen in 20 years right now is it a whole choice to make it that way? Sure. Like, again, they built up enough history where, like, could she just be the calloused mother who's just there kind of like, you know what, I've spent 20, however many years trying to work with this kid. I've just accepted the way she is. I'm not going to get all wishy-washy over her. I've accepted that she feels this way and nothing's going to change her mind. I'm just resolved to it. Mm-hmm. And that's also a fair choice, too. It's a fair choice, and there's enough context to make it believable. I right. am happy, and what what made me feel a little bit like I, it's kind of threw that part of me a bone was that moment where, you know, Lynn's really comes at Toph pretty hard, and we have that moment mm-hmm. where Toph kind of hangs her head, and she has that, like, vulnerable, kind of like Lynn, that vulnerable sigh moment as she's like, realizes that she's, like, it kind of cracks through and like mm-hmm. it reaches her heart and you know we see a little bit of how she actually feels about it on the inside the the vulnerable part of her um right. that hasn't just written off this whole interaction and been like ah oh, lynn you're always going to be this way you're still mad about it and there's not enough things in the world i can say for you to you know understand or forgive me or whatever right you know yeah no i i'm 100 percent with you on that like like I said, up to this point, I felt that she was 100% in character. Like, like exactly how I imagined older Toph would have been. This was the episode that I was like, okay, I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm starting to see why people that don't like this interpretation of Toph are, where, like, where they're coming from. Because, while, like you said, it is believable that she would have gotten to this point. It's kind of, like, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of not so much the choices that they made, but how they delivered these choices. Mm. So like the way that she is so dismissive and so just like callous about the whole thing when Lynn is so visibly upset, like if Lynn was playing it off and just trying to be cool, like, Oh yeah, let's not mention that I never had a dad, but no, she's like, let's not mention that I never had, you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, yeah, it's a, she's like, very happy. She's upset. And, and, and Toph, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to make this pun. Just kind of stonewalls her. Yes, she does. Yeah. And it's like, damn, that's cold. Even for you, Toph. For, for, to use a more exact term, actually, it's not stonewalling. Are you ready for me to make another earthbender pun again? Totally by accident. I promise. I don't make these terms up. She's gray rocking her is what she is. She, 
She's not avoiding it. She's facing the confrontation. She's just refusing to be emotionally involved in it in order to mm-hmm. allow Lynn to just beat against a stone wall and not get anywhere. She just doesn't give her an emotional response. Honestly, like if I were writing it and I had to keep the same conflict, like I would have preferred that the conflict just not exist. Like you can have them be kind of adversarial to each other, but like don't have this whole baby daddy drama. We don't need it. Like, just let people have their it's theories so unnecessary. about it. Yeah, it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> like, I know that Su Yin mentioned way back in, I think it was season three, that like her and Lin never knew their dads, but like Lin's never mentioned that. She didn't seem to have a problem with that, but now all of a sudden yeah. she does. It just, it feels kind of forced to me. So if I had to keep it, I would have it to where Lin, being Lin, is super cold, standoffish to, to Toph. And Toph is being so laissez-faire, like, you know, like she is. She doesn't worry about stuff like that. And so you have <laughs> those two conflicting, like, like emotions mm-hmm. or, I guess, attitudes towards the the whole drama. And instead of them blowing up at each other and being mad or, you know, resentful of each other, just have that be the kind of dynamic. And then maybe, you know, Cora or Boleyn or maybe another family member, one that we haven't really talked to very much, like the twins or, you know, Batar, the the husband. Maybe they talk to – I don't know. I feel like you could have gone about it different ways. And, and you, know, you know what my take on it is, and maybe you'll like this? You know what they could have done? They could have had Lynn be like she's been in flashbacks where she's the 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 you know by the book you know oldest child griping that she's not appreciated by all these things and that she's got so much you know how am i supposed to how am i supposed to act around you after the way you treated us and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and like you said what if toph was was there and just didn't engage it but what if instead of being like oh i just hope you don't hate me what if instead what if toph showed instead of telling what if she just like you know what she'll think whatever she wants haha <laughs> carefree toff let's go save the family and she showed that she cared by saving the family by helping by using her awesome power by show by putting herself really out there to do as much as she possibly could she could have been more instrumental in the escape because we know toff is like a flipping god when it comes to earthbending right. And maybe done a fantastic feat, maybe even put herself in danger, something that would have proved to Lynn and been like, you know what, I'm really hard on you. And yeah, maybe you're not like the greatest mother in the world and that we certainly had our difficulties, but I can see that you really care about all of us and you're not Mm -hmm. staying away because you don't care. You know, it's not that because very clearly here you are, you you risked your lives for us. Like, Yeah, and like, I think that even though they do kind of have that moment in the episode where Toph does come to the rescue at the very end, it doesn't feel like it was her saving them. It felt like it was her taking out the army and that's it. Like, that's how I always interpreted it. Like, (laughs) which by the way, when we, when we get there, the entire scene of the final battle, I have to talk about it. Oh yeah. I, I love that. Well, do you want to talk about it? Like, or do you have more to say about talk? No, no, no. Let's no, let's go through the escape and everything. Let's, let's almost hold back. Let's hold it back for a little (laughs) while longer. Yes. So, um, Batar, the twins and, Huon. Yeah, so the Batar, the twins, and Huon have all been captured by Kuvira, <laughs> and she's crushing their personalities. <laughs> and <laughs> their individualities. I love Huon. Um, and 
they are being suspended very similar to Ming Wah, actually, um, a, in a you know wooden cage that they can't earthbend over like a chasm. So it's like I'd very love, dangerous. I would love to be that person, that like non-bender scientist that was like, guys, we figured it out. If you <laughs> just separate a bender like 77 and a half feet away from their element and they're like drawing out the chains to like make sure they're long enough, they can't bend. <laughs> Right. somebody like tested it they're like okay ang now uh step back a little further or can you or like you know uh, or like Qatar, can you bend that water over there okay step back a little more can you bend it now okay just a little bit oh you can't bend it now okay quick write Perfect. that down write that down <laughs> yep the uh the ingenuity behind that it was probably um, Varric. probably yes <laughs> but uh yeah, so, you know, the rest of the Beifongs that have not been captured, Toph, Lin, you know, Opal, all them, they all have to go and save the rest of the Beifong family. And they recruit Toph, who just kind of shows up, because, you know, of course. And uh, Of course, Grandma has to show up for the road trip. Of course. <laughs> and um, and Bolin's with them as well, because obviously he's an earthbender too. And they, while Kavira is demonstrating this atomic bomb weapon made of spirit vines that she and Batar Jr. have been working on. Um, and all of her men are like witnessing the demonstration. That is when they're trying to break into this, you know, secure facility to break out, right. you know, Operation Bayfong to break out the Bayfongs. And uh, so. Well, then yeah, on top of it, the, the test of the weapon keeps falling apart because who should be sabotaging it from the inside but Julie, Julie. doing the thing. Yes. Oh, my God. When I tell you, I have never been more tense in a scene of Legend of Korra, like maybe since season one with Amon, than uh -huh. I was in this one scene of Julie and Kavira. Like, because it turns out she takes out a like a very vital part of the of the machine that she you know is helping Batar to make for this atomic bomb, and it's like a pin, and she's hidden it inside of her outfit, inside of her jacket, and Kavira can sense it because it's metal, so she pulls it out like all slow, like, and it's so threatening. I swear to God, I thought she was gonna shank her with it, <laughs> like it's like a sharp <laughs> pin metal, and I'm like, oh my God, is is Julie about to die? <laughs> Like I had that moment in the theater was is Julie about to die? Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was so scary. And like you just don't know what Kavira's gonna do because like this is the second time that she's betrayed her now. And yeah. like she very well she, she probably could have killed her or should have, or vice versa. Um, and it was just so scary. And yeah, obviously she doesn't. She just ties her up in the town that they're trying to uh blow up the was it the los almos los almos i think that yeah. that's the trinity test from oppenheimer <laughs> that's basically yes. what it is, desert I, town I, I also love how they're like julie what do we do with her put her in the town that we're gonna test it in and i love how they just like go to the trouble of like going all the way down there and they're like here stand here bye bye and then they just go all the way back mm. and they're like okay now you can shoot with no security, nobody like. She's not even like. Is she, is she even tied up? Devices. Is she tied to the tracks or anything? Yeah, she was tied up to like the water main or whatever. It's oh, I called. wasn't even paying attention. The water tower. I, I, yeah. I didn't even see it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And... So then, so then the the Bayfongs 
who are freshly escaped. It's Sue and Lin and the twins, right? Yeah, and Huan. And oh, Huan. Oh, no, you mean about the you mean about the fight, right? When they show yeah, up, they, Lin, when they when, yeah, yeah, Sue Lin and the twins, right? <laughs> Lin and the twins. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a band. And Bolin, obviously. Oh yes, and Bolin. And Bolin. So they all show up into what I will argue there have been some pretty bogus fights in Legend of Korra. But the metal bender on metal bender fight, while it's cool, it is very cool. It is the most pointless fight in all of Legend of Korra, and here is why. <laughs> Don't you because dare. it should have been over for one side or the other in literally seconds. Everyone can bend metal, and everyone is wearing metal. Do you know how fast, when I saw it, didn't really hit me until Sue wrapped metal around herself, like armor. I'm like, Kuvira should have literally crushed her like a walnut. <laughs> or someone should have choked Kuvira with her own metal plates. Everyone is wearing metal! They, everyone should like everyone should have waved their arms and like we just should have seen just like, like a mass just impaling of everybody with whatever they were wearing and they all should have just fallen down. Everyone should have died in seconds. <laughs> it makes no sense. Why would you metal bend at someone when you could just metal bend the metal they're wearing? Imagine because wrapping yourself in armor to protect yourself from someone who can bend metal. But it looks so cool. <laughs> it's, it's so stupid, but it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it makes no damn sense. Compels me though. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> that was me the whole time I'm watching. I don't even care because, like, the Suyin versus Kavira fight, like all 45 seconds of it, is one of the coolest fights in all of Legend of Korra. Like, I absolutely, I mean, I've made a zero. I absolutely love metal bending especially how totally it's used in um, Legend of Korra. And, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, yeah, I I love it. I love how fast-paced it is. I love how smooth the animation is, the sound effects of the metal on metal. Like, it is it is such an incredible fight scene. And, like, when you take more of the, like, emotional stance, this is like a mother and a daughter basically fighting. Like, it's, like, and I wish it was more emotional because it is basically that. But again, we haven't gotten deep into Kavir's, like deep enough into Kavir's character mm. to really care about their relationship. So um, we, we did enough, though. I mean, she did talk about even though we didn't see it. She did talk about it. So, I mean, they could have done that, too. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not saying that they haven't at all explored it, but like not yeah, nearly yeah. enough for us to like care. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh <laughs> Like, okay, cool. She was like an adopted daughter and then went rogue. All right. <laughs> like, we didn't see any of this happen, so it's whatever. Um, our summaries, our summaries of this entire scene is <laughs> me being like, it wasn't a violent scene. And you're like, no, no, it wasn't a violent scene. It was a cool scene. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, yeah. And why and, did nobody um, metal bend the, the weapon? They're all metal benders. Bend the well, weapon in half and break it. Well, no, no, that's the thing. The weapon itself is not made of metal; it's made of platinum. Which I know this is what I. Hey, hey! Here's a great idea, everybody. <laughs> How about those giant boulders that you're throwing at the troops? How about throwing one at the weapon and just ending this entire thing? You would set them yeah. back weeks. 
Hey, Toph, you want to do something great instead of sending a giant ripple through the ground and just knocking everyone down? How about you open a big hole underneath that whole big platinum thing? Guess what? If it's made of platinum, the metal benders can't save it. It'll fall down and they can't stop it. Yep, but you also have to think, like, imagine if you were to drop the atomic bomb or try to crush like that's it's you really got to think of it in that if they were to just try to wreck the thing it would probably explode and, it would, and, and they kill would kill everybody. and they'd kill Kavira and it would end the war and it would <laughs> stop everything they could have solved the Bayfog Operation Bayfog could have ended the war instead of they were so selfish that all they did was get their like six people and go home <laughs> how dare wow. they how dare so, they try to get their family out of they literally the they literally could have stopped a super weapon and a worldwide dictator they had a chance to kill hitler and stop the atomic bomb and they didn't oh my god that just reminded me of another gem line from the earth. she has a <laughs> super weapon it's like a regular weapon only super <laughs> so funny so stupid i love it yeah no the entire end of the episode was very cool but it was like the drill but like times 10 well okay so again no spoilers for the finale we'll get to that next week but um i'm just curious about how you're going to feel about like the tactics that are taken to like bring down kavira and her army in the finale because like they go through a bunch of stages of like, all right, we got to do this. This doesn't work. Okay, we got to do this. This doesn't work. Like, so it is very much of a plan, fail, plan, fail, success eventually. Like, so, like, so like Legend of Korra after the first season, plan, fail, plan, fail. Oh, we're at season three. <laughs> eventually, success. <laughs> uh, fail upwards, honestly. <laughs> but, but yeah, no. So now, since we're talking about because i like i said i get where you're coming from but i love the fight not just kavira and no uh, i i I totally do i totally it's just it's a problem storytelling wise when you introduce something and then you give it to everybody so that it can be cool and you like two seconds of thinking about it it doesn't make sense why it plays out like it does it, it, it's just it's just a problem you've just painted yourself into a corner where you have to have people fighting each other and they're wearing armor but everyone could technically bend to the armor it just doesn't make it just doesn't make it, it, it just it doesn't it just doesn't just doesn't make sense yeah no i i get it I just yeah, don't yeah, yeah. think it like that because if you do, you're gonna be like you. <laughs> I, I I know I know I know, but no, but it is a very very cool fight. It just didn't make sense to me. It's at a very all. cool fight. Yeah, um, I love seeing, uh, especially the twins in action. Like when um, one of the twins, you know, Su Ying gets thrown out of the fight with Kavira, and she gets kind of cornered. And one of the twins comes to her rescue and like beats the guys off and then, you know, rescues her. And I'm just like, oh my God, I love to see it. I love like the family coordination and just how they just work so succinctly. It's uh, so cool to yeah, watch. Yeah, like, the then, one like lifts a boulder up and the other one like basically throws, throws it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And how um, I like, I've always noticed this ever since she was introduced in season three. And I kept meaning, meaning to mention it because I just absolutely love Suyin's character. Like I said, she's one of my favorites in Legend of Korra. But I love how different her style of, like, not just bending, but just earthbending in general is to most other earthbenders that we've seen. Hers is much more dance-like and fluid and fast, whereas most earthbenders are very solid and sturdy. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, it's not... 
it's it's way more in line i feel like her style with like say airbending than yeah. like earthbending and it's probably because she was a dancer you know and mm -hmm. i love that you know like you were just saying one of the twins they lift up a giant boulder she does like a plie and smacks the rock across the battlefield with like a kick and i'm like oh my god that was so beautiful like, i love watching her bend um and uh yeah so it's so cool to see the different you know family members working together and their different styles and you know earth bending versus metal bending metal bending versus metal bending like it's just such a cool fight um and then who should come along but Toph to you know rock everyone's world and literally end the battle in one fell swoop because <laughs> uh you know last minute <laughs> better late than never um but uh yeah, and I think that it actually kind of is perfect because it makes sense with the last, I think it's the last line of this episode, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. um, where she says, you know, sometimes you just got to leave it to the kids. Like, yep. it, it's not her fight anymore. So she just kind of came in last second, do sex, tough machina. <laughs> like, but, uh, <laughs> but it makes sense. She is an old lady and like, she doesn't want to be fighting these giant fights and battles and all that. Like, she just ended the fight. She wasn't trying right. to get in on it. Um but uh and of course she gave a great diss to kavira you know you give metal benders a bad name and kavira has no response she just kind of looks on like okay <laughs> i just got burned <laughs> by the creator of metal bending <laughs> all right that's that hurts <laughs> i'm gonna go sit on that one for a minute um but uh yeah and then we just get kind of the the reunion at the very end and the kind of abrupt i feel like conclusion mm -hmm. to the whole baby daddy drama which again it's like why was it even here if we just concluded it so quickly and without really any real resolve the family drama in season four is kind of dragged into the storyline when it doesn't need to be there like the the romance angst was in like the early season of legend of Korra. <laughs> Like, why yes. is this here? We don't need it. We already resolved anything. There's so much happening. We don't three. need this like, extra. Yes. Yeah, like, it's already dense enough. We've got spirit bells going on, Korra fighting her inner conflicts. We've got Bolin and Varric escaping and turning on the enemy. We have the development of a super weapon. We have politics in the city. We've got Bolin and Opal's relationship drama enough. We don't need more. It's okay. <laughs> Thin it out, guys. Okay. We only have three more episodes left. You know? Yes. But now, okay, so since we just went on a whole, like, tangent about the fight, I'm just curious, because we are, like, wrapping up, obviously, the show next season, or not next season, next episode, um, what, because you're, I love listening to you talk about fights that don't make sense, <laughs> so I'm just curious, out of all the ones that you remember, because there's a lot, obviously, in Legend of Korra, which fight would you say is your favorite, like, that has just made the most sense, like, <laughs> Time for all the comments you complain about. What's one that you like? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's really bad. Immediately, I don't think of like big dueling battles. Although there is a really good one. Um, off the top of my head, um, I can't think of her name right now. Uh, uh, Tenzin's sister. Oh, Kaya. Yeah, Kaya versus Kaya. Zaheer. When Kaya and Zaheer fight, that's an awesome fight. That is mm -hmm. a very, very cool fight. Because, you're, again, you're dealing with elements that are non-problematic. Like, if water's not going to murder anybody in a second unless you're trying to stab them through with ice. You know what I right. mean? And there's very few people that, like, actually do do that. Um, and then air. Air isn't, like, an instant kill unless you actually have somebody so helpless that you can suck the air out of them. Again, 
again, it's right. not an instant kill. Fire even is not even an instant kill unless you're using lightning. And there's ways around that to redirect it. Right. You know, um, honestly, some of the best fights, funny as it's going to sound to you, some of the best fights I feel like are in season one. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That was actually going to be my pick. With, but I'm curious which one specifically, because there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, honestly, any of them. Um I mean, even just the pro bending fights are awesome. Um, so I would go with anyone from season one. And then I would probably actually also want to go with um, Bolin at the um, Bolin when he's at the in season two, when he's at the, the theater and things all start yeah. going wrong and he's Another there fighting. That's, that's awesome. Um and then uh Kaya versus um versus Zaheer. Yeah, those are good picks. For me, I think that also my pick is from season one, um, in terms of just like my absolute favorite fight. And that's actually the fight between um Korra and Amon in the in the pro bending tournament like when she gets up on top of the roof she's fighting the chi blockers he's getting away on the airship like that to me is animation horn oh my god the amount of times i've replayed that one fight scene is obscene okay that's a good (laughs) that's a good fight but i thought you meant like a bending battle and he doesn't bend in that fight well well, no. It's a it's I a fight. Like, I, I okay. Then that case, if it's best if it's best fight in general, then I agree with you. Fight in general, then yes, that is like absolutely the best fight scene. That's yeah, like the I, Jet versus Aang of yeah. Legend of Korra. I totally yeah, agree so, with you. That actually is a very good uh, app comparison, considering you know the Chewbacca's are non-benders, just like Jet. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love that fight. I do love the Chewbacca fight. The first fight that she has with the Chewbacca's in the dark alley with like Mako and all that. It's incredibly yes. done. Um, but uh, yeah, all the season three fights, great. Um, and honestly, I'm going to say it. The finale of season two, before it gets stupid, <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> like the fight between Unalak and Korra when, you know, it's just them you know it's not spirit battles it's just that, them going yes. in and out of the spirit world and you know trying to kill each other it's incredible like i don't care you can hate on it all you want but that is some of the best fight animation i've ever seen period <laughs> um yeah it is very but, good um, yeah you know, it's, it's, you know, it's another, and what's another good one is um Unalak versus tarlock mm-hmm. yeah that's another the water versus water always yeah. fun fights water versus yeah. water <laughs> Yeah, there hasn't um, been a water versus water fight that fun since um, Katara. And, yeah. Katara, yeah, yeah. The Master Paku and the Water Bending mm-hmm. Master episode. God, that that so good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so good. No, no, good. no. There actually was because there was uh, Katara versus Hama, which was another incredible oh, water bending. Oh, yes. That's so, true. Like, honestly, I prefer, like, as cool as the water bending fight is between her and Hama, I actually prefer her versus Paku. It's just, that Same. fight is one of the best out of season one. Um, yep. But yeah, <laughs> we're just going all the way back to Avatar, of hey, course. You know. Yeah, as we do. Uh, it's all yeah, you know. But, uh, yeah, no. I, 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 the whole point of that being that I love this fight. Um, 
you know, even if it doesn't make a ton of sense with the whole metal bending and all that, like, I just don't think about it. Because <laughs> if you do, you're going to jerk yourself crazy. <laughs> and it's not like... Oh, I know, I know. And it's not like lore breaking or anything. It's just more of like a logic thing. It's like, just, it doesn't make sense. Um, but the episode is good. Uh, he has a really, really... I really enjoyed the whole escape scene with them uh, getting them out of the cage that was suspended. That was really cool, the way they, they did that. Um, again, kind of unnecessary... Uh, family drama that didn't need to be put into what was otherwise a pretty straightforward episode with stopping Kavir and her super weapon and the drama mm. with Julie and that moment where they find out that she's been sabotaging it is just <laughs> yeah. like chef's kiss drama kind of Kavir's oh sorry oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say there was one little moment that we didn't mention in that scene um well not it's it's with you know Julie and Kavir and Batar um and that's when you know, Kavira, she wants to fire on the town with Julie in it. And, you know, Batar's all for it until he sees that Opal has arrived on her bison to come save Julie. Uh, and he immediately tries to shut it down. Like, he, right. like, that's the, the small sister. glimmers of, like, you know, the, the yeah. redemption arc. And, like, obviously, he's not fully a bad guy. He still cares about his family and especially yeah. his youngest sister. Like, and I love little moments like that. Like, they're, they're very small, but I noticed them and I appreciate them. <laughs> well, because the you know one of the arts that we talked about in the show is humanizing the villains. Even mm -hmm. someone like him, again, he's not like evil, which apparently Kuvira is just literally a psychopath. She's just <laughs> yes. evil. But you know, but Batar Junior here, he's he's just he's he he's bitter against his family, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. I mean, right. and as you can see, his power, love for his family overpowers his loyalty because he's willing to stop a super vital test of a weapon that he's been agonizing over all week mm -hmm. just to save his sister. Yeah, it's, it's literally, it just came to mind. Um, May's line that she gave her zinger to Azula, you know, I love my family more than I fear you. <laughs> like, yes, and it, it's very true. It's very apt for him. Um, and I, I do love that they put that in there because that's more than what we got. Because I always equate Batar Jr. to Percy from uh, Harry Potter. Because, like, mm, he comes from mm. a big family of, you know, magical, quote-unquote, people. And he is the Judas, the betrayer, the one, you know, the prodigal son that comes crawling back, like, at, by the end of the story. And it's like, but with Percy, we never saw any kind of hint that he you know, was remorseful for abandoning, abandoning his family or like anything like, it's just, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> but at this, I'm like, no, we see that there are moments of human, uh, humanizing humanity, what I was trying to say. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I do love it. I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention to Batar Jr. for adding yes. that little bit of extra, <laughs> extra complexity to the story. Um, overall, it's hard to rate the episode because, again, it's one of those ones where the good stuff was really good, but then there were things that, like, bothered me. And the episode overall, like, it wasn't a consistently held drama. It was a lot of start, stop, start, shop. Julie, the arrival of the metal benders. Oh, no, they're captured. Here comes Toph again to save everybody. It was kind of choppy. Um, but overall, okay, it was good. Um, I'm going to give it an... 7.8 out of 10. Oh my god. <laughs> that actually is way lower than I thought you were going to give it. So it's, the tem it's the tempo of the episode. It's kind of like the last one. It's just like, it's very choppy storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I like this one 
quite a bit more than that. <laughs> Not quite <laughs> 9.10 for me. Um, because again, I think that it could have been a 9.10 if, or not nine, a nine out of 10. Um, if they didn't have the baby daddy drama, which again, just does not need to be there. We've gone right. through the drama with the Beifong family. We don't need it anymore. We got two whole episodes dedicated to that in season three. Um, and, uh, so if it had taken that out, it would have been a nine out of 10, but as it is, I think I'm going to give it a solid, 8.5 out of 10. I absolutely love the fight. I love just the Beifongs in general, the, the whole family. Mm -hmm. They're just so cool, so attractive. Like, the family <laughs> genes, though. Oh, my God. Um, and uh -huh. uh, and I do really love, like I said, the the Kavira, Julie, and Batar moments in the episode. They're like, yeah. they're not the main focus, but honestly, I was way more invested in that just because I didn't know where it was going. Like I said, I thought Julie was going to bite it in this episode. So, like, the fact that I was so scared, like, just in those moments, like, I, you know, that's that's really impressive. We knew that they were going to get them out. There's no tension there. But, uh, yeah, those moments were really, really good. So, yeah, for me, I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. Pretty it's good. Just a, it's, a, it's just a satisfying flip back to, you know, we were joking a few episodes ago, then I'm like, are you sure you actually like this show? Where I was like, this episode's great. It's like 9 out of 10. And you're like, eh, it's like an 8.5 for me. And I'm like... I can't remember what you gave Remembrances, the like the clip show from the last... I loved it, remember? Yeah, I know, and I can't remember what you gave it, but it was way too high. I'm sorry. That was like <laughs> that was where season four started to fall off for me. <laughs> like, damn it, you were doing so well. What happened? But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so no. are we? Are we so glad that we're back to me being critical of it and you being like, "But I love this show." Yeah, <laughs> the way <laughs> things should be. Out again. Perfectly balanced. And you know, this leads us to where we were when we were going to conclude season three of Korra. This brings us to, for the second and now final time, the triple threat. Our next podcast mm -hmm. episode will cover the last three episodes of the series, mm -hmm. episodes 11, 12, and 13 of season four. So stay tuned for that. So excited. Because we will be in for quite a ride as we complete the entire series of Legend of Korra. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.